Chapter Seven of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. In ten years, Cameron's had become the biggest clearing in the hills, as it was the oldest. Many others had been made and were scattered throughout the lower ranges overlooking the weary plains, though at great distances apart, ten, twelve, and sometimes twenty miles lying between neighbouring homesteads. The hut that had been Donald and Mary Cameron's first home had been broadened by the addition of several extra rooms. Floors had been put down, and a wide veranda spread out from them. Every room had a window with four small glass panes. The window sills, veranda posts and doors had been painted green, and the whole of the house whitewashed. Its bark roof had given place to a covering of plum-coloured slates. There was even a coin or two of grey and golden lichen on them, and the autumn and spring rains drummed merrily on the iron roof of the veranda. Creepers climbed around the stone chimney and the veranda. Clematis showered starry white blossom over the roof and about the veranda post. A little garden, marked off from the long green fields of spring wheat by a fence of sharp-toothed palings, was filled with bright flowers, English marigolds, scarlet geraniums, pink, yellow and blue larkspurs, and all manner of sweet-smelling herbs, sage, mint, marjoram, and lemon thyme. The narrow beaten paths that ran from the veranda to the gate and round the house were bordered with rosemary, and in the summer a long line of hollyhocks, pink, white, and red, and red and white, waved tall and straight at one side of the house. The edge of the forest had been distanced so far on every side of the clearing except one that the trunks of the trees showed in dim outlines against it, the misty drifting leafage swaying over and across them. Only on the side on which the track climbed uphill from the road, the trees still pressed against the paddock railings. A long white gate in the fence where the road stopped bore the name Donald Cameron had given his place, Airmuir. It was the name of the estate he had worked on in Scotland when he was a lad. It gave him no end of satisfaction to realise that he was the master of Airmuir and that his acres were broader than those of the Airmuir in the old country, not only broader, but his to do what he liked with, his property, unencumbered by mortgage or entail. On the cleared hillsides about the house, crops of wheat, barley and rye had been sown. An orchard climbed the slope on the left. Behind the old barn and the stables were a row of haystacks. The cowsheds and milking yards were a little further away. Round the haystacks and about the barn, a score of the buff and buttermilk-coloured progeny of Mother Bunch, a few speckled chickens, black and white pullets, and miscellaneous breeds of red-feathered and long-legged yellow fowls scratched and pecked industriously. Donald Cameron farmed his land in the careful fashion of the lowland Scots. There was perhaps here and there a crooked line in his fields and a rick awry behind the barns, but all was neatness and order, from the beehives which stood with their pointed straw bonnets beneath the apple trees, to the cowsheds where newly cut bracken was laid down every day or two for the cows to stand in when they were milked. There was no filth or squelching morass in his cow-yards. The pigs wandered over the hills, rooting under tender grass. Scarcely a straw was allowed to stray between the back of the house and barns. In the feed-room, the harness-room, in every shed and yard, the meticulous precision and passion for order which characterised all that Donald Cameron did was maintained. There were changes indoors as well as out. A long straight kitchen with a bricked floor and small window looking out onto the yard had been added to the original home. 
On the east side, two rooms had been built and a small lime-washed shed behind the kitchen served for a dairy. In it, on broad low shelves against the wall, the rows of milk pans, with milk setting in them, were ranged. A small window in the back wall framed a square of blue sky. When Mrs. Cameron was making butter, the sound of the milk in the churn, the rumble and splash of the curded cream could be heard in the yard. The sweet smell of the new butter and buttermilk hung about the kitchen door. Ten years of indefatigable energy, of clearing land, breaking soil, raising crops and rearing cattle, doing battle with the wilderness, overcoming all the hardships and odds that a pioneer has to struggle against, had left their mark on Donald Cameron. Every line in his face was ploughed deep. His expression, gloomy and taciturn as of old, masked an internal concentration, the bending of all faculties to the one end that occupied him. Always a man of few words, as the farm grew and its operations increased, he became more and more silent, talking only when it was necessary, and seldom for the sake of companionship or mere social intercourse. His mind was always busy with the movements of cattle, branding, mustering, breeding, buying and selling prices, possibilities of the market. He worked insatiably. He was reminded of the flight of time only by the growth of his son, a gawky long-limbed boy. As soon as he could walk, Davy had taken his share in the work of the homestead, rounding up cows in the early morning, feeding fowls, hunting for eggs in the ripening crops, scaring birds from the ploughed land when seed was in, and cutting ferns for the cowsheds and stables. His father was little more than a door taskmaster to the boy. Davy had no memory of hearing him sing the gathering song of the clan of Donald the Black. His mother had taught him to read and count as she sat with her spinning wheel in the little garden in front of the house, or stitching by the fire indoors on winter evenings. Davy had to sit near her and spell out the words slowly from the Bible, or the only other book she had, a shabby little red history. Sometimes when he was tired of reading, or the click and purr of her wheel set her mind wandering, she told him stories of the country over the sea where she was born. Davy knew that the song she sang sometimes when she was spinning was a song a fairy had taught a Welshwoman long ago, so that her spinning would go well and quickly. She told him stories of the Tarwith Teg, the little brown Welsh fairies. There was one who was never tired of hearing. "'Tell me about the farmer's boy who married the fairy, mother,' he would say eagerly, and she would tell him the story she had heard when she was a child. "'Once upon a time,' she would say, Ever so long ago, there was a farmer's boy who minded his father's sheep on a wild, lonely mountainside. Not a mountainside like any we see in this country, Davy dear, but bare and dark, with great rocks on it. And one day, when he was all alone up there, he saw a girl looking at him from round a rock. Her hair was so dark that it seemed part of the rock, and her face was like one of the little flowers that grow on the mountainside. But he knew that it was not a flower's face, because there were eyes in it, bright dark eyes, and a mouth on it, a little red mouth with tiny white teeth behind it. They played on the mountain together for a long time, and sometimes she helped him to drive his sheep. After a while they got so fond of each other that the boy asked her to go home with him to his father's house, and he told his father that he wanted to marry her. That night a lot of little men, riding on grey horses, came down from the mountain on a path of moonlight, and clattered into the farmyard of the farmer of Yeastrad. The smallest and fattest of the men, in a red coat, they all wore red coats and rode grey horses, 
Did I say they all rode grey horses, Davy? Yes, mother, Davy breathed. She had this irritating little way of going back a word or two on her story if a thread caught on her wheel. Well, she began again, and, as likely as not, her mind taken up with the tangled thread would add, Where was I, Davy? And Davy, all impatience for her to go on with the story, though he could almost have told it himself, would say, And the smallest and fattest of the men, in a red coat. Oh, yes, Mary started again, strode into the kitchen and pinched to the farmer's ear, and said that he was Penelope's father. The girl's name was Penelope and that he would let her marry the farmer's son and give her a dowry of health wealth and happiness on condition that nobody ever touched her with a piece of iron if anybody put a piece of iron on her penelope's father said she would fly back to the mountain and her own people and never more sit by her husband's hearth and churn or spin for him so the farmer's boy married penelope and very happily they lived together everything on the farm prospered because of the fairy wife though she wore a red petticoat and was like any other woman to look at, only more beautiful and always busy and merry. She made fine soup and cheese, and her spinning was always good, and everybody was fond of her. Then one day, when her husband wanted to go to a fair, she ran into the fields to help him to catch his pony, and while he was throwing the bridle the iron struck her arm, and that minute she vanished into the air before his eyes. She paused for Davy's exclamation of wonderment, and then continued. Though he wandered all over the mountain calling her, Penelope never came back to her husband or the two little children she had left with him. But one very cold night in the winter, he wakened out of his sleep to hear her saying outside in the wind and rain, Lest my son should find it cold, place on him his father's coat. Lest the fair one find it cold, place on her my petticoat. Mary sang the words to a quaint little air of her own making, while Davy listened, big-eyed and awe-stricken. When the children grew up, they had dark hair and bright sparkling eyes like their mother, she would conclude, smiling at him. And when they had children, they were like them too, so that people who came from the valley, where the farmer's boy had married the fairy, were always known by their looks, and they were called Pellings, or the children of Penelope, because it was said they had fairy blood in their veins. Davy had always a thousand questions to ask. He liked to brood over the story, but he learnt more than fairy tales from his mother's memories of the old land. Her mind was beginning to be occupied with thoughts of his future. She and her husband were simple folk. Cameron could barely read and write, and what little knowledge Mary possessed she had already passed on to Davy. She knew what Donald Cameron's ambitions were, and after ten years of life with him, had little doubt as to their achievement. The position that it would put Davy in had begun to be a matter of concern to her. She was turning over in her mind her plans for his getting a good education as she sat spinning beside the fireplace in the kitchen one evening, when her husband said suddenly, "'I wish to goodness you'd put that clucking thing away. Have done with it now.' my wheel she asked mild surprise in her eyes ay he said impatiently he was sitting in his chair on the other side of the hearth don't you realize woman it's not the thing for mrs cameron of airmuir to be doing don't you realize you're a person of importance now 
the lady of the countryside if it comes to that and for you to sit there tapping and clacking that thing is as good as telling everybody you were a wench had to twist up wool for a living a few years ago she stared at him he shifted in his seat uneasily i've been thinking he continued it's no good having made the name and money unless we live up to it you must get a girl to help you with the work of the house and will not sit in here any more in the evening but in the front room and have our meals there but the new carpet that's laid down and the new furniture donald she exclaimed they're not there to be looked at are they he asked last spring sales they were calling me laird of Amur. i cleared near on a thousand pounds i'm not wanting to be flash and throw away money he added hastily but that's to show you we can and are going to live something the way they did at Amur in the old country she rose and lifted the spinning wheel from its place by the fire it was like putting an old and tried friend from her but when she sat down on her chair opposite donald cameron again there was a new steady light in her eyes you'll be a rich man indeed donald if you go on as you are doing she said ay he gazed before him smoking thoughtfully and your son will be a rich man after you ay well you must have him properly educated for the position he is going to have she came steadily to her point all your money won't be any use to him it will only make him ashamed to go where the money could take him unless he has got the education to hold his own her eyes drew his from their contemplation of the fireplace and the falling embers you've the book learning why can't you give it to him he said i have given him as much as i can she sighed but it's little enough i'm not such a fine scholar as you think donald there are things in those books that you brought from the port in the sale lot with the armchair and the fire irons that i cannot make head nor tail of though the four bits i've read say that a knowledge of the contents is essential to a liberal education she pronounced the words slowly and carefully donald cameron frowned he did not exactly know what she was driving at but those words sounded important i've been thinking mary went on quickly there's a good many people about here now and they ought to be getting their children educated too there's the morrisons mackays rosses and o'briens and there's a child at the new shanty on the top of the track mrs ross was telling me last time she was here between the lot of us we ought to be able to put up a school and get a teacher a barn on the road would do for a school in other parts of the country the people are getting up schools the newspaper you brought from port southern last sales said that why should not we and where will you get your teacher cameron asked grimly her colour rose i know what you mean she said the only sort of men who could and would think it worth while giving school to children are the convicts and ticket of leave men but there are decent men among them they seem to be doing very well in other places i see that mothers are going to the schoolroom and sitting there doing their sewing so that they can be sure the children are learning no harm with their lessons we could not do that every day here but now and then one of us mothers could go to see that the school was going on well anyway the children must be taught and we've got to make the best bargain we can i'll think of what you say her husband replied you'll be going to the clearwater river tomorrow and be away a day or two won't you she asked i might take the cart and lass and go and see what mrs ross and martha morrison and mrs mackay think of getting a school if people about are willing donald cameron said brooding over his pipe it'd be a good thing for all of us a school 
the difficulty i can see will be the teacher can we get one there's high wages for stockmen and drovers but maybe there'll be just some stranded young fool glad of the job and the chance of making a little money without soiling his hands you could pick them up by the score in melbourne but here he shook his head you might ask a few questions in the port when you're there if there is any likely young man she said ay i might he replied there was an amused gleam in his eyes as he looked up at her you seem to have thought a good deal on this matter before using your tongue is it not a good way she asked the smile in her eyes too ay he admitted grudgingly a very good way and you do not mean the grass to grow under your feet mary no indeed she put her work-basket away took the lighted candle from the table and went to her room the loose star of the candle flickered a moment in the gloom and then was extinguished but donald cameron left alone before the fire realized that the subject of davy's schooling had been disposed of End of chapter seven